You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. I'm going to be reading from the 100th chapter of Psalms. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth, and serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing, and know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord, he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness is to all generations. Good morning. How is everybody? Good. Healthy? Good. Uh, ushers can come forward and take uh, the morning's offering. Yeah. If, uh, if you're visiting with us, please I don't feel obligated to give. Uh, we're so glad that you're here. But if you could fill out the communication card, it's on the back of the seat in front of you. That would be awesome. And let us know how you found out about Meadowbrook. Also, uh, if you have a prayer request, if you want uh, the staff to pray for you, you could fill that out also. You can list your prayer request. We pray in our staff meeting over every prayer request that is submitted either on a Sunday or, or even online through an email. So we, uh, we take that very seriously. Um, you know... <clears throat> We live in a weird uh, season, right? We thought maybe the pandemic would be over by now. It's not. So uh, Brian and his, well, their four kids all have COVID, it seems. And um, so you can be praying for them. Brian is our young adult and youth pastor. And so he's pretty bummed about that. They all, or some of them had it last year. And that's the nature of COVID. It's like, hmm, <laughs> who will I infect today? <laughs> And like, so like in our household, I had it, and then nobody else had it, and then that was two years ago, and then, then three of our boys had it, and it's just weird, so be praying for that. All right, we are uh, about to start a new sermon series at, today. We're starting this Advent series early, because uh, I want to spend five weeks just reflecting on the generosity of God. But before we do that... I really want us as a church, just as a church family, to take prayer seriously. I want to just take a, a minute or so, and you could, you could pray with the person that you're sitting next to, that you came to church with, or if you just want to pray by yourself, that is fine too. But here's what I want to do before we start, before we dive into the Word of God. Uh, pray that God would just open our hearts to His Word, that His Holy Spirit would just melt our hearts like butter so that so we could receive it, that we would have ears to hear, and that God would just transform our lives you know, in the, you know, during our time together. So you could pray out loud, you could pray you know, in the quietness of your own heart, 
Um, I think it's cool when everybody's praying out loud all at the same time. God doesn't, it doesn't matter to God. But let's just take time to pray, and then I'll close our time, uh, and then we'll dive right into Psalm 100, okay? Let's pray. Just find somebody to pray with. We'll pray. God, there's just all kinds of crazy things that are happening in our world. Um, this week I was reminded, Lord, that it's really nothing new, just different dress. But God, during this time as we just, we, we, we sing songs celebrating who you are, who, what you're about, what the gospel means to us, now we're going we're gonna to listen to your word going to listen to a sermon. God, I just ask that you would prepare our hearts to receive it, including mine. That all the crazy things that may have happened this week, the anxiety that, that maybe some in this room are, are, are feeling right now, and just the, the, the noise of the week would just all just go away during this moment, during this time, so we could hear from your word and be transformed by it and through it. So have your way with us. Soften our hearts. Give us ears that will listen. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. That's going to become a regular thing at Meadowbrook. So um, just just want to give you a heads up that that we want prayer to be a part of the culture of our of our gathering together. So starting this sermon series a week early. I think it's a week early for Advent, right? Um, I know if you're like me, I'm not ready for Christmas music yet. You know, I, I, I'm just—I want my favorite holiday, to be honest with you, is Thanksgiving. I just love food, and I like being around people while I'm eating food, and so that's my favorite holiday. So I want to do that first before we start singing songs together, but um, you know, Christmas songs together. But I wanted to start this sermon series early just because I don't know about you, but for me, I. I I, it's easy for me to think about the attributes of God like his mercy, his grace, his, his justice, his love, you know, his wrath, his holiness, his, his, his power, his, his infinite wisdom. I, you know, I actually, at a previous church, I preached a whole sermon series on, 
all of his characteristics, all of his, or many of his attributes, and on the names of God. Maybe one day we'll do that here. But uh, the one thing I didn't do when I preached through the character and names of God, I didn't address his generosity. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking, well, if holiness and love and justice and mercy and, and those things, oh, those are God's per, part of God's perfect character, then generosity is also. And you've heard me say this, and if you're new here, you're going to hear me say this if you come back multiple times. God does not need to what? Improve upon himself, right? He does not need to improve upon himself. He doesn't need to get better at being good. He doesn't need to get better at loving people. He doesn't need to get better at being holy. He doesn't need to get better at being just. And, and he does not need to get better at being generous. That God is infinitely generous. And uh, so we're going to spend five weeks just talking about that, looking at that. Like this week, God, God gives himself. Next week will be God gives his son. The week after that, God gives his Holy Spirit. The week after that, God gives the church. And then the final week, just leading up to Christmas, God gives us the kingdom. And, uh, and so that's, that's all coming. But, but when you think about God, A.W. Tozer said, uh, he said this, A.W. Tozer, famous pastor, uh, really, really neat guy who's in heaven, wrote a bunch of books. He said this, and I think it's, I believe it's very true. He said, what comes into our minds uh, when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I've quoted this a bunch of times. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion, and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. What do you think about God shapes who you, what you do, shapes your decisions, how you live your life? I, I, I agree with uh, A.W. Tozer. And then I thought, well, there are like thousands of gods that people worship all around the world, right? Worship all kinds of gods. And there's usually a, a, a well, there is a common theme with, with the gods that people worship. And um, that theme has to do with, you know, him, you know, uh, the, the God that they worship needing something from his, his or her devotees. And I went on this website that's got a whole list of all these gods, and I just wanted to find the weirdest, craziest gods that people worshipped. And, um, I mean, you got a god, <laughs> you got a god, the, you have Cryptus, um, who is the god of flatulence. Um, that's the thing. I, yes. Um, we have, we have another god, uh, Selenius, the god of beer, buddies, and drinking, who's described as being fat, bald, and hairy, and drunk. Like, I, that's, I, I, anyway, people make up some crazy stuff, including gods that they worship. But the one that gave me the most, the, the biggest chuckle, uh, was this African creator god by the name of Mbamba. Now, Mbamba is the creator god of vomit. This is, this is him. He's vomiting out uh, creation. Um, out of the dark, so the story goes that out of the darkness came Mbamba. And, and uh, he, he's this giant, he's described as this giant pale-skinned figure. And he wasn't feeling well for millions of years. And the reason why he wasn't feeling well is because it, it, his solitude and loneliness 
was causing him to be ill. So one day he was feeling especially bloated and, and uneasy, and then he just vomited. And, and the first thing that came out of his mouth when he vomited was the sun. And so you have the sun. Um, and then a, a, after that came, uh, what else? Uh, the, the moon. He coughed up the moon. Stars came out uh, next, and with a tremendous effort, the description goes, he threw up planet Earth. And this nauseating display, I'm quoting, this nauseating display was brought to a triumphant conclusion when an encore, with an encore, he vomited forth nine animals, an assortment of humans, and a pile of diced carrots. I don't know what's up with the diced carrots, but... I guess carrots are a thing for whoever worships this God. Um, he then had three children who kind of fin finished up creation to add up the finishing touches. And uh, Mbamba spoke kindly to his human creations before ascending to heaven, never to be seen again. And, and the description goes, and so far as we know, his stomach has never troubled him since. Now, that's kind of comical and funny. I laughed more than you did. Um, but... Uh, I think the way people perceive God is somewhat similar. He was lonely. So what did he do? He created everything. And he created humans to worship him because he needed somebody or some group of people to worship him. And if, you have, and if people don't say it, they certainly treat God that way. And what we discover in the Bible is that in the giving of himself, God, God didn't do it out of any need. He did it because he's generous. He did it because, out of the overflow of his love. And so, so as we think about this, there are three, three ways in which God has gifted us through creation. Like in creating everything, he, he, it is a gift of himself to us. And first, that God gave the gift of creation. Now, the fact that, that the Bible teaches us that God created all things makes the most sense to me. This idea that there was some single-celled organism billions of years ago, and lightning out of nowhere struck, and boom, you had this living whatever, and, and then soon you had two cells, and they joined together, and here we are, voila, where, you know, the, the, the gift from evolution. That makes no sense to me. Um, when I read the Bible, it, that's what makes sense to me. There had to be a creator. And Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 begins with, in the beginning, what? God created. What did he create? The heavens and the earth. And he did it all in six days. Uh, in fact, there are, yeah, the Bible affirms this. This is why I don't ascribe to um, a theory of evolution that involves God. Um, I, I, I believe he did it in six days. Why? Because he's capable of doing it in six days. If God could part the seas, if he could raise the dead from the grave, he can speak and things coming to exist, can come into existence. So Psalm 33, verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were what? Made. And by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. Think about the description of that. By the word of his mouth the heavens were made, and just exhaling resulted in everything that exists. And Psalm 33, verses 8 through 9 
um, says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he what? Spoke, and it came to be. He what? Commanded, and it stood firm. You want to know why the universe isn't chaotic? Why it's that there's order? Is because God has spoken. And then Psalm 148, verse 1, Praise the Lord. For what? He commanded, and they were created. And so when we open up to Genesis chapter 1 and we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and this is what, the next, this is what those six days look like, or looked like, that makes the most sense to me. And then you think about the, the vastness of our universe. It's huge, right? The, the, so this is, I googled it, um, <laughs> I stink at math, but this is what I found. Our solar system is one of many solar systems in our galaxy, which is about 100,000 light years in diameter. I don't know how you measure that, but people smarter than me were able to do it, I guess. And if um, that's the equivalent of 587 trillion miles. It's a lot of miles. Our sun, I was thinking about our sun, our sun is 332, well, just over 332,000 times the size of our Earth, and our sun is roughly one star among, guess how many? 200 billion stars in our galaxy. You know, you know what that tells me? That tells me we are really small, right? You consider the size of our sun in, in relationship to our Earth, and then you think of our solar system, and then you place our, our, our galaxy that's pretty huge in the midst of other galaxies, which scientists estimate is only one in in about a million in the universe, we are tiny. And it will be tempting for you to conclude with the, or to ask the question, well, well, why did God do it? It seems an awful, like, an awfully, like a lot of wasted space out there if we're the only ones in the universe um, that God created to worship him and to know him. And so the psalmist answers that question for us. In Psalm 19 verses 1 through 2. Let's read this together. Ready? The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. The psalmist is like, yeah, why does all this exist? Why does it exist? Because it's telling us something about who God is. Why did God do it that way? Did he do it because he's got an ego problem? No. He's just displaying his power and his majesty for all of us to be able to enjoy and to see. Um, the reason why I believe God created the earth and everything else in six days is because the Bible says that he did, and I believe the Bible to be true, and it is my faith. It's faith that, that we believe that. Like, Evolutionists who believe that the earth is billions of years old and creationists who believe the earth is not billions of years old all have to begin with what is called a presupposition. You know what a presupposition is? It's a, it's a thought or an idea that you arrive with, right? And so, and the reason why is because neither of these people were ever at the beginning of creation and witnessed it, right? Nobody, so, nobody witnessed it. And so evolutionists say, well... If God doesn't exist, it, has, it had to happen somehow. And so somehow there was something, and lightning struck, and voila. And then creationists say, well, no, there had to be a divine cause. And, um, and so how do we arrive at that conclusion? Or why do we arrive at that conclusion? Faith. 
we believe it to be true, that God exists, and if God exists, therefore he was responsible for create, creating all things. And Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3 um, says this. Let's go to the next slide. It says, let's read this together. Ready? By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. I love that verse. That there was nothing and God spoke and then there was something. Um, and, and what does that tell us about God? He is big and we are small. He is big and we are small. And, and he didn't create because he had some moral obligation to create. He created out of the overflow of, of, of the love that he had uh, and experience within, ready? I know this is kind of deep, but within his triune being, within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God was perfectly content within that community. And he created. He created out of the overflow of his love so that we could experience him and know him. Um, and and so, so he didn't do it because he was morally obligated to. He did it out of the overflow of his love. And, uh, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. You exist and I exist to know this God who is perfect in every way. He's perfect in his love, his grace, his mercy, all those things. And in and, and giving himself... But uh, making himself available to you as a result of you being created and me being created, we get to enjoy him. We get to participate in who he is and, and to find our wholeness and our completeness in him. You know, we sometimes treat God in the reverse way, that somehow we make him feel complete. Like somehow he's just longing for your worship today. Like, he just won't have a good day unless you come to church on Sunday and sing some songs to him. That is not the way it works. <laughs> I'll get into this a little later in the sermon, but um, he has no need of you. We have need of him. And so, so it leads me to the second thing about what does it mean that God created all things? Uh, well, it, it, he gave us the gift of creation. We get to enjoy that. But he gave us the gift of human life. And we see this in, the hundred, in uh, Psalm 100. You know, make a joyful noise. Well, why? Well, well, to the Lord. And serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence, you know, singing, with singing. Well, why do we do that? Why do we, why do we sing to him? Because he needs us to sing to him? No. Our joy is completed when we celebrate who God is, right? We Every single person who gathered at the Philadelphia Eagles versus the Broncos game left except for one person with, with sadness, right? And you're looking at him. I was filled with much joy because the Eagles won. Sorry. But, um, but when, they, you know, when you watch a good play or you're, you're watching the game and you're, 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 or whatever it is that you enjoy watching, when you shout and clap and, and experience that joy, it's like it completes the, the experience when we, when we do that, those things. And it's the same thing when we worship. You know, worship um, involves, you know, a number of things. It isn't just singing. It involves listening and it involves engaging. But when we sing songs, I've said this before, when we sing songs on Sunday morning, the purpose of singing is to sing the promises of God to each other to remind ourselves of the promises of God. And uh, when we sit and you listen to some guy talk for a while, uh, it's, not, it's not just 
because you want to fill your heads with knowledge. It's, it's to celebrate who God is, to be reminded of his promises. Um, you know, and, and you think about, so you think about the human body, like all of our bones and, and, and the muscle tissue and all of our nerves and, and our brain and, you know, the organ, our organs. All of that is a reminder of how small we are and how big God is. He created us. The psalmist says this in Psalm 139, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am what? Fearfully and wonderfully made. You're one, wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. And in my frame was not hidden from the infinite God that spoke the galaxies into existence by the word of his mouth, that when you were in your mother's womb, you were not hidden from him. Think about that. Let your mind like, try to process that one. That God is intimately acquainted with you and with me, and, and, and he knows all of our stuff, right? The bad stuff, the good stuff. And when, as we read the Bible, we, we discover a God who pursues sinners. He doesn't run from them. Like Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden and they rebelled against God, what did they do? They hid. And in hiding, well, once they discovered their nakedness, what did they do? They covered their nakedness with leaves. Like anytime you think leaves are going to resolve your problem, the problem that they had, you're in trouble. And so they ran. And who was it that pursued them? God. And when God found them, what did he do? He clothed them. It's a picture of God's grace. He clothed them. And then he promised to them, he made a promise to them, that I will send a deliverer who will reverse this thing. This mess that you created, Adam and Eve, I'm going to turn it around. And all of this fits into my plan. And in, in, in experiencing that, you're going to experience my love in a way that you've not really experienced before. And so, so God, the one who created all things, he knew my frame. It was not hidden from him when I was being made in secret, intri intricately woven in the depths of the earth. And then, um, you know, and we learn from Genesis chapter 1, that God, when God created all things, the pinnacle of his creation was mankind. And he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, let, and let them have dominion over the fish in the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creeping things that creeps on the earth. That is God's gift to you and to me. He said, I created all this, now I want you to enjoy it. And enjoying it, I want you to manage it. And you are going to, you, you are my representatives. You are the only creature that bear the image of who I am. That's why people are the only creature, we are the only creature that, has the, that have the ability to worship God, uh, to sing to him, to engage who God is with our minds and with our emotions. And yet we are also the only creature on God's green earth that is in rebellion to God, right? And so the psalmist sings, Psalm 8 says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, when I see this, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? Like, who am I? You're huge. You spoke all this into existence, and, that, and you're mindful of me? You, like, what's that about? God is an infinitely generous God who seeks to lavish upon you his love and his grace. 
for you to experience him in every way. And that is, my friends, the greatest gift that God could have ever given to you. Like, like, like man is not the center of God's universe. God is the center of his universe, and he's invited you and me to enjoy the greatest, most awesome, most majestic being in all, in, in all the universe. He's invited us to, to not only enjoy him, but to receive him. And that's, that's what we're designed for. Every nerve ending in our bodies, every, every organ, everything about us was made to know the God of all creation. The person sitting next to you does not complete you. If you're married, that person is your helper, right? Your team. You should be a team anyway. Um, if you're not, call up the office. We'll set up a time. We'll talk. I'm like, like, like you should be a team. But you don't complete one another. The only being that completes you is God. You're, you were made for him. And... Um, and so the psalmist was just blown away by that. And to this idea that we were created to know the God who, who does not need to improve upon himself. Like I used the word infinite. I'm going to use it again later in the message. So if God is infinitely wise, that means that he is eternally wise. He's perfectly wise. Like you cannot get any better than that. He's infinitely wise. He's infinitely loving. He's infinitely merciful. He's infinitely gracious. He's infinitely holy. He's infinitely just. He's infinitely powerful. He's, he's all those things. And in giving himself to us, which is my, next, my, my third point, in giving himself to us, he is inviting us to enjoy those things that are, that, that are true of him. And I think some of you need to hear that. Like, here, listen. God was not morally obligated to make sure you were born. Right? He was not morally, and he is not morally obligated to make sure you get to heaven. He is not morally obligated to love you or me. He is not morally obligated to forgive you of your sins or to forgive me of my sins. The only thing that God is morally obligated to do is to damn you and to damn me because of our sin. Unless you understand that or come to grips with that, you'll never really understand the generosity of God and his love for you and his grace that he lavishes upon, upon sinners like you and me. Like God gave the gift of himself to us. And when we look at this psalm, Psalm 100, um, there are four commands that were given in this little short psalm. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Know that the Lord, Yahweh, that he is God. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Like there are four command, commands. And then in the psalm, he gives us four reasons why we ought to do those things. Why should we do those things? Well, because God made us. I love this. In verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God. And then he goes on to say, it is he who made us. And we are his. I mean, there's this warped idea in American thinking, and other places in the world, but it's especially in the, in the American church, that we have some level of autonomy. That we're the captain of our own ship. Like if the, if the plague, call it the plague, I'm reading a book on the plague in the 1500s, but if the pandemic has taught us anything, you are not the master of your own ship. You are not the commander. Your life is on the, like on the knife edge of, of you, know, you could die 
If anything, the, the, the pandemic has taught us how frail our lives really are, right? It has. It just... I have another friend who's in the hospital because of COVID. And he just ran a marathon like uh, two weeks ago. We are frail. And, and so the psalmist says, we, we are his. <laughs> in, the, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I believe it is, um, Paul wrote this letter to this really jacked up church called the Corinthian church. Um, and, and there was sexual sin going on in the church. And Paul said this, and he pretty much says the same thing that the psalmist says. He says, listen, don't you know that you were bought with a price? Like Jesus died for you, so glorify, your, glorify God with your body. You're not your own. And the psalmist is saying the same thing. God made you, and therefore, by definition, you belong to him. Not the other way around. You don't own the deed of God. <laughs> or, you know, he, he owns the deed of all creation. And so, he made us. That's the first reason. He is good. That's in verse 5. Uh, that's the second reason. His, his love endures forever. Think about that. Like, when you're... How many of you are married right now? <laughs> okay. Um, I know, I said right now. Uh, or, or have been married, right? Um, our world says that love is what you feel. That I love you so long as I feel that way. And the biblical definition of love is not just feelings. It is commitment. It is a decision that you make. It's a covenant, especially if you are in marriage. It's a covenant that you make with one another. If you've been married for any length of time, now this is free advice to anybody considering marriage right now. If you've been married for any length of time, um, you have discovered that the feeling of love comes in ebbs and flows, right? Like there are some seasons where you're like, eh, I'm not kind of feeling it right now. And there are other, and it's that covenant that just you're reminded of. And there are, and there are other seasons where like, yeah, I, you know, you're all twitterpated and you, you know, love is all you think about. And, um, but our, our hearts are fickle and, and, and this feeling, our feelings are very fickle. But with God, his love endures for how long? Forever. There's a, this really awesome verse I remind myself of all the time. And it's, uh, I think it's in 1 Timothy. It, it, may be in a, it may be in another letter in the Bible. But, but it's in the Bible. It says that um, though we are faithless, he is what? Faithful. Amen to that, right? And, and so this God, even when we're faithless, is faithful to his people. That's good news. And why, why is he that way? Because he's infinitely generous. He has, he has given himself to us. And, um, and so that, and that's, that's good news. You know, what is it about the human condition? Well, I usually quote Romans chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 2. I'm not going to do any of that. Um, but there's this verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20. I think it's pretty clear, right? Uh, let's read this together. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sin. So there's no righteous person on planet earth. We sin. Um, John chapter 3, verse 19 in the gospel, it's the gospel of John, in case you're wondering, says this, and this is the judgment. What is the judgment? Light has come into the world, that's Jesus, right? And people, what? 
loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And then if you really want to find out what Jesus thought about us, Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, what comes out of a person is what defiles him, for from within, out of the heart of man, come what? Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. That's why we run into the darkness. That's why we run from God like a thief runs from a cop. Um, it's for those reasons. And here's where, like in Romans chapter 5, here is a, uh, I'm not going to ask you to turn to it. I just want to read a couple of verses from Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 11. It says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Right? For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God, but God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us. And why did he die for us? To reconcile to this God that we were made to know and to enjoy. Because our sin you know, alienates us from him. And so God, in his great love, just John 3.16, sent his one and only son to reconcile us to this God that we sinned against. You ever hear the phrase, um, know your worth, and you need to know your worth, right? If you didn't, you got to watch Rocky. It comes, uh, you know, Rocky talks about that. You know your worth. I, I won't do uh, Rocky Balboa's. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So know your worth. So I looked that up. I want to know, what does that mean? Like, what does know your worth mean? Well, it literally means to, um, that, to, that, that you, you need to know how you value yourself and just go after it. Really, mean, it's, like, it's like saying, and this phrase used to bother me all the time, and I say it more often than, than I prefer. You know, it is what it is. You ever hear that? Like, what does that mean? Like, it is what it is. I used to get angry when I heard it. I'm like, what are you saying? It's like the stupidest thing I ever heard. It is what it is. Um, but now I say it. Like, I had no explanation. It is what it is, especially during the pandemic. Well, it is what it is, you know. Um, but to know your worth. And then I thought, okay. And I thought about the meaning of worship. Do you know what worship means? Yeah, the root of worship. You know what the root of worship is? Worth-ship. To attribute worth to something. Think about that. What is it are we attributing worth to when we gather together? What are we, who are we attributing worth to when we sing? Who are we attributing worth to as we live out our lives? Like there's a commandment, do not use the Lord's name in vain. It's not talking about words that come out of your mouth. It's talking about the way you live your life as an image bearer of the God of all creation. So, then, you, then I was thinking, okay, so um, how do you attribute worth to a God whose worth <laughs> is infinitely unmeasurable and at the same time infinitely complete? Do you, are you adding something to him? No. Here's what worship is, and I'm tying this all together. Here's what, here's what worship is. When we, when we worship God, we're not adding anything to him. We are coming to him. This is how you attribute worth to God. We come to him with empty hands. There is nothing I bring to your table, God. There's nothing I have. Like, my, my life, my joy, the forgiveness of my sins, 
all of that comes from you. And I come to you with open hands. And, I, and I'm receiving from you what only you can give. That's how we attribute worth to God. He is infinitely uh, worthy. I have no worth in of myself except for what God says of me, and I receive from him. That's what we do when we worship. And, uh, and then we take that and we live our lives in light of, of, of that reality. Um, I came across a, a statement in a book that I'm reading called Deeper, by uh, Dane Ortland. Some of you received a book from him, like one Sunday we had a whole bunch of his books available. He wrote another book called Deeper, and it came out this, this year. And he said something in that book that I totally agree with, but I had not thought much about. And this is what he said. It's just a, st- it's just a sentence. If you are a Christian, if you are a Christian, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, If you are a Christian, God made you so that he can love you. You hear what's being said there? I'm going to do a sermon series before we do the whole Sermon on the Mount thing. It's like, it'll probably be like nine weeks long. It'll be, um, I don't know what to call it yet. You ever ever see the show, or heard of the show, Kids Say the Darnest Things? It's going to be like Christians say the darnest things. I you know, like, we're all God's children? Nope. <laughs> the Bible doesn't teach that. Um, God only helps those who help themselves? Eh, wrong answer. <laughs> like, that's not in the Bible. Um, but, but this idea that God, that God made you so he can love you is true. And the only way to experience his love is to place your faith and trust in Jesus, to find your forgiveness in Jesus, the, the, the one that God sent in your place to die for your sins. Thomas Goodwin, an old Puritan, said of Jesus, Christ is love covered over with flesh. God is a generous God, brothers and sisters. Infinitely generous. Seeking to lavish upon you all, all that is good. And all that is good is himself. Like, th- think about that. Like, in pouring out his love upon you and me, he has made available to you all that is true of himself. That is, his grace is available to you. His mercy is available to you. His goodness is available to you. And love is available to you. Not just available to you, but if you're a Christian, it's all yours. Some of you need to hear that. It's yours. It's all yours. Just like like when it comes to my, my, my children, my boys, because I'm their father, they can say that I belong to them. That, I, that They can say, dad is mine because he's my dad. And the same is true with God. Because God is your father, if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he is yours. He is your daddy. The Bible even says that. You can pray to him and cry out to him, Abba, Father, and literally that's Daddy. And his grace and his mercy and his justice and all those things are available to you. And he just wants to lavish it upon you in infinite measure. And, and, and nothing will ever change that. Um, Jonathan's going to come up. He's going to lead us in the closing song just because you don't want me to do that. Um, <laughs> I, I might scare some of you. Um, I, I, I asked Jonathan, hey, can we do this song? He's like, 
do you mean the whole band? I said, no, I need somebody with a voice because you don't want to hear me sing. And I want us to respond with this, kind of like a hymn, it's called the doxology. We're going to do that in a minute. But I want to read a quote from, from Dane Ortland that, from this book that I just thought, man, this is so good. And not only do, did I need to hear it and think about it and process it, but I feel like I really believe you need to hear it and think about it and process it. I'm going to, it's not long. I'm going to read it for you. The words will not be on the screen, just an image. But listen to what he wrote. He said, divine love is not calculating and cautious like ours. The God of the Bible is unrestrained. If we are united to Jesus Christ, our sins do not cause his love to take a hit. Think about that. If we're united to Jesus and we sin against God, God's love doesn't take a hit. It's not less true that he loves us because of our sin. He goes, he goes on to say, he says, Though our sin will make us more miserable, they cause his love to surge forward all the more. Every heart-stabbing poem, every story of rescue, every novel that evokes longings, and a thousand others that, that make the tears flow, all are an echo of the love behind all of human history. This love is the power that burst the created order into existence. And most supremely, you, the pinnacle of creation. He created you in order to love you. Listen to this. He knit you together with his hands so that he could pull you into his heart. That's true, friends. That is true. That's the gospel. If you doubt that, Jesus hung on a cross with arms stretched out to symbol, to, as, as, a, as symbolic to the, to, uh, of the love that God has for you. And all of your wrath that you deserved was put upon him, poured out upon him on that cross so that you could know what it means to be a son, to be a daughter of the living God. That's good news. You need to hear that. And if you were like wondering, okay, Pastor Keith, you read a book, that's fine. I want chapter and verse. Show me chapter and verse. I have one for you. John um, chapter 3, verse, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. Amen? Some of you need to be reminded that God is a generous God and He loves you. Regardless of your past, what you've done, what you're doing, what you will do will never change the fact that God's love is infinite. And if you're a Christian, if you place your faith and trust in Jesus, He loves you. He loves you with an infinite love. And, um, and the reality of that and wrapping your mind around that should woo you back to him over and over and over again, right? And if you're here and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus and you're trying to figure out, man, what is, it, what is this all about? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What, what, what is that? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is the Lord, meaning all that he did was true, and that he was buried, and then on the third day that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody can come to the Father to be reconciled to the Father except through me. There's salvation found in no one else but the name of Jesus. Jesus, who is the Christ. And the gift of salvation is free. God invites you. If you want to be his son, if you want to be his daughter, you just need to receive his gift, the gift of the forgiveness of your sins. And for the rest of us, you just need to bathe in that reality. Let that saturate your heart. 
you are loved with an everlasting love. And when we're faithless, he remains what? Faithful. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for everyone in this room and those watching the live stream. Thank you for the greatest news in the universe. That out of your great love for humanity, you sent your one and only son to die for our sins. And in dying for our sins became all of our sin. Experienced all the wrath that we deserved. And on the third day after he was buried, he rose from the grave, validating all of that. And your word says that whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. God, thank you for being so generous to us, for lavishing upon us your love, your grace, your mercy, all those things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, look forward to seeing you next week. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.